Well, today's scripture comes from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Uh, we are going to be doing a uh, responsive reading, which means that I'll read the first verse and we'll all respond together. The verse after that, we'll keep going back and forth until the end. And so we encourage you to find the scripture uh, in your pew Bibles or if you brought uh, your own Bible or Bible app. We'll be reading from the NIV, uh, but the uh, sermon actually, uh, I'll quote mostly the ESV. I hope that's not too confusing. We get to see two different versions. Uh, But please stand as able once you're prepared to read the scripture. Again, that's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, uh, we have been talking about how we experience grace in everyday life. And uh, so today's message is called, When You Don't Feel Like It. And I feel like for me, a lot of times when I think about my life and sort of what is the baseline for life, you know, what can I expect from the rest of my life? I think for me, at least, you know, maybe it's different for you, but for me, I imagine a life that is relatively pain-free, you know, where there's not a lot of conflict, there's not a lot of difficulty, where things are kind of going my way, you know, things were, you know, it's just usually conflict-free and not that difficult. But the reality is that oftentimes in life, we do face a lot of difficulties, you know? And a lot of the things we've been talking about when it comes to uh, receiving grace, I feel like there is a factor that we don't always talk about or acknowledge. You know, we're like, oh yeah, you know, we should practice spiritual disciplines or, you know, we should do certain things as Christians. You know, it's good for you. And I think one of the problems that I wanted to acknowledge as we kind of start to wrap up this uh, sermon series on the grace experience, how you actually experience grace, is I wanted to acknowledge how hard that is in everyday life. Why? Because oftentimes you don't feel like doing the things that God asks us to do, right? 
And it's hard to get someone to do something that you don't feel like doing, you know? I, I face this all the time when I talk to my kids about, you know, if there's something where they get, like, really upset about something or they're kind of disbeha- misbehaving and they're not listening, you know, I'm like, I talk to them after the fact when they're all calm. I'm like, what, hey, what, why did you do that? And they're like, I don't know, Dad. I was like, well, like, you know, we talk a lot about, like, learning to calm down and, you know, you, you shouldn't be mean or you shouldn't yell at people. And, like, like why, why didn't you do that? And they're like, I don't know, I just couldn't. And I actually relate to that a lot. You know, this idea that you know what the right thing is to do. You know, in that moment, it's like, I shouldn't yell, I shouldn't get upset, but you can't help it. Why? Because of feelings, emotions, right? All those things get in the way. You know, there are many times where it's not even just getting mad at something, you know, but there are times in life where you just don't feel like doing something. You know, how often, you know, I I don't know if this sounds familiar to you. This is so often the story of my life when it comes to spiritual disciplines, where I'm like, you know what? I should pray. I should read the Bible. You know, I should do whatever that thing is that I heard from the sermon, you know, last Sunday. And then, you know, you get home and, you know, like maybe you had a long day of school or work and you just want to turn on the TV. You just want to relax. And maybe before you know it, it's like 1130 midnight. You know, you start getting a little sleepy. Oh, I should pray. I should read the Bible. And then how often does this thought kind of come in at some point? You're like, you know what? I just don't feel like it. I'll do it tomorrow. And and it doesn't mean that you don't want to do it. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian, right? But how familiar is this for us? Is, is, Is that your story? It is so often my story that so often I don't do something, not because I'm a bad person or not because I don't value it, I just don't feel like it in that moment. So friends, if that is your story, you know, if, if, if how you feel gets in the way, then I have good news for you. Uh, that's what this message is all about. And I feel like we can find a way forward um, and that uh, we can look at the scripture. And so let's take a look at uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 12 that we read. And it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay, also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, in the NIV, uh, what it says for the, the, the sin that clings so closely, it says the sin that so easily entangles. And I think when you take both of those things, I think that the author of, of Hebrews is acknowledging that there are things that just sort of naturally happen in life. Sin that just snares you, entangles you. You know, you get caught up in it. And, and there's so many things in our lives, like it says, lay aside every weight, every burden. There are things that are weighing on your life. And it's telling us that, yeah, that's going to happen in life. You are going to have burdens, right? You are going to face difficulties. And so we just need to be realistic about that. Right? I think that the author of Hebrews, even though it was a different time, and maybe they didn't have the same distractions that we have. They didn't have the same difficulties that, that we have. But let's, let's be honest. I mean, you know, let, let's not just uh, look back at ancient people and like, oh, I'm sure it was so easy back then. You're just in the desert. You didn't have anything. You know? It was easy to follow Christ back then. But I think you know, uh, the, the author of Hebrews is... is you know trying to to point out to us that, yeah, I know it's hard. There is sin out there that so easily entangles us, 
There are burdens to life, you know? And so that's the premise of Hebrews chapter 12, right? And so it says, yeah, we got to learn to lay aside that. Um, And so it says, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. What does that mean, endurance? What is an endurance race? Is it a sprint? Oh, it's a marathon, right? You know, sprint is like you just run really fast for a short amount of time and then you're done, right? But an endurance race is one where you just have to keep going. You know, it, it goes on for a really long time, you know, for hours. Or in the case of the race of life, it's going to go on for the rest of your life. And so the author of Hebrews is saying that we need to run with endurance. We need to learn to run this race to do it every single day because you need it every single day. The sin that so easily entangles, the burdens that you face in life, is that just one season in your life? Or are those going to come up again and again and again? Right? Like I said, I like to think the baseball line of my life is that things are relatively okay. But the reality is that I get through one obstacle. I'm like, oh, phew, it's going to be clear sailing from here on out. But that's not the way it works. You know, another obstacle comes. Another difficulty comes. I have another emotional meltdown a few weeks later, you know. I, I have a, another problem that comes up. There's another difficult person who comes along my path, right? So I need to learn to run this race with endurance. And this is going to be key. There's something that we need to learn to do every single day. And it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So there's something very interesting here. It says, you should be looking at Jesus. And they tell us something about Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. That there's an example that Jesus sets for us. And the example is this. There is joy that was set before him. And because of that, he endured the cross. And so those two things do not seem to be related. Joy and cross. But Jesus was able to behold both those things. There was a joy set before him, right? Something just very wonderful. And in order to achieve that, he had to go through the cross, suffering, difficulty, pain, right? And so in order to get that, he had to endure. And because he was able to endure, he was able to be the one who sets not just an example for us, but makes a way for us. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, friends, if life is hard, Even as you are living the Christian life, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. That is business as usual. This is one of the things that gets lost in modern Christianity. Is the idea that Christian life is going to be hard. I I, I know for me, there are many times where I struggle and I go through difficulty. And I think it's because either God doesn't like me or I'm doing something wrong. I'm like, God, what the heck? I'm a Christian. Aren't you supposed to bless me? Aren't things supposed to go better? I, I think I've talked about this before, but there is a, 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 there's a, a very popular Christian author who I'm sure is a wonderful man, but I don't agree with a lot of the things he talks about because I don't think they're very biblical. And one of the things he talks about is this idea of the blessing of ease. 
is that if God is blessing you, if there's favor on your life, then your life will be easy. Right? And so the examples he uses is like, you know, he's experiencing the favor of God and he goes to a busy shopping mall. And it's like so busy that there's like no parking spaces. And his wife is like getting a little anxious about that. Like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have to park so far. He's like, hey, don't worry. Don't worry, it'll be fine. He goes to the front. And right when he goes up to the front, a car pulls out miraculously. And he pulls in and he's like, hey, wife, kids, come touch me. Can you feel that? That's favor. That's the favor of God. He talks about a time where he was going through the airport and there's a big security line, right? And he goes up to that security line. He's thinking like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm going to be late. Oh, this is going to be a pain. And then somebody recognizes him, you know, because he's been on TV and he looks at him. He's like, pastor, hey, you know what? You don't have to wait in that line like all those unblessed people. He didn't say that, but that's kind of the implication, right? What about everyone else who had to wait in the line? No favor from God there? I don't know, but he's like, oh, you don't have to wait in that line. You know, and he takes him, and he just like, you know, they kind of go through the back, and he doesn't even, like, like he goes straight through uh, the detector, and, and, you know, just in no time. And he's like, that is the blessing of ease. So friends, we hear messages like that, and then you read Hebrews chapter 12, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You're gonna go through stuff. Why? Because Jesus went through stuff. Life is gonna be hard. And actually, that can be a good thing. It's not a bad thing when things go wrong. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you, right? And that is a message that we need to hear because so many people, man, there's so many people who... We follow Christ when everything's going well. Thank God, praise God, I got the job. Praise God that, you know, the sun is shining. Praise God that everyone likes me. Praise God that everything is going smoothly. But the moment problems come, God, why? Why, how could you, God? Not fair. It's not fair. Maybe I'm not blessed. Or maybe there is no God. But with Jesus... For the joy that was set before him, there is joy in the pain. He endures it, and there is joy there. It's very interesting, right? It's a very different way of looking at life. How can there be joy through pain, through difficult circumstances? How can that be possible? Well, let's continue to read. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I want it to be like a little more clever in the sermon and let you figure out on your own what uh, uh, the point of the sermon is. But I just figure at this point, hey, let's just let the cat out of the bag. What? How do we... Uh, continue to experience grace when you don't feel like it. The answer in short, and we'll explain this more, is discipline. That's how, right? It's discipline. And what's interesting here is that I, I, I know for me, discipline is something that I've kind of lacked in my life, that I've always wanted to find. And so, you know, a long time ago, when I just wanted to find a scripture on discipline, you know, I think I typed into Bible Gateway, discipline, right? And Hebrews 12 just popped up like, boom. And I'm like, oh, discipline. I want to find out about discipline. But I started reading this, and I was like, okay, it talks about discipline a lot here, right? 
um, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. And I remember reading this and thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are we talking about the same kind of discipline? Are there two kinds of discipline? Right? What is discipline to you? I think for us in the world, we think there's two kinds of disciplines. Good discipline and bad discipline. What, what, what is uh, uh, good discipline? Good discipline is, you know, when, when I get up at 4.30 in the morning to go jogging for my health. I don't want to, but I'm disciplined. So I get up, right? I'm like, oh man, I'm so tired, but you know what? I'm disciplined, I'm gonna do it, and I do it. Or I'm on a diet. Somebody brings out a cheesecake, looks so delicious, right? And they put it in front of you, and you're like, oh man, that cheesecake looks so good. Everyone else, mmm, cheesecake. And you're like, no, I'm not gonna eat the cheesecake. You know why? Discipline, right? What is bad discipline? Bad discipline is, hey, kid, you're not supposed to do that. You know, hey, get out of bed. What's wrong with you? Get out of bed, right? And like, like, like an adult smacking a kid or something because he did something wrong. Hey, you need to get out of bed. 4.30 in the morning, go running, go jogging. It's good for you. It's bad discipline, right? Or how about this? You know, hey, it's good for your health. You need to lose weight. Look at that cheesecake. You can't have it. You try to eat the cheesecake. No, no cheesecake. Bad discipline, right? What is the difference? What is the difference between the two? Uh, so there may seem like there's two kinds of discipline. I actually looked up the word discipline and just put a, did a Google image search, and this was one of the first images that came up. And I thought it was cute because everybody loves dogs and everyone likes muffins, so why not do both, right? And there's a dog with a muffin on his head. Now think about this, friends. This is supposed to be a, a, just the paragon of discipline is a kid, uh, sorry, not a kid, uh, a dog. <laughs> Some people treat their dogs like kids. Uh, but a dog with a delicious chocolate chip muffin on its forehead and it can see it. Oh, chocolate chips. And the dog is like, no, will not eat the chocolate chip muffin. That's discipline, right? But how did that dog learn that? How did that dog learn that? Do you think the dog just you know, many days was like, hey, master, master, put a chocolate chip muffin on my head, okay? The first day, a dog's like, I can't do it. Ah, eats the chocolate chip muffin. Next day, he's like, mm, I can't do it. No, I'm going to hold. No, that's not what happened. You know what happened? Somebody decided, I'm going to teach my dog to have a chocolate chip muffin on its head and not eat it, right? So you put the chocolate chip muffin on the head and, and on the dog's head, and then the dog is like, chocolate chip muffin, great, thank you, and then eats it. And you're like, no, no. Don't eat the chocolate chip muffin. And the dog's like, oh, I'm sorry. You put it on my head. You know? And so after a while, every time the dog tries to eat the chocolate chip muffin, you stop it. You restrain it. Right? No. No. Maybe there's some people. I know this, this isn't really cool to talk about, but maybe someone takes a little newspaper, swats the dog on its nose. No. The dog's like, oh, shoot. I don't want to get hit on the nose. I'm not going to eat the chocolate chip muffin. And the end result is the dog doesn't eat the chocolate chip muffin. Right? So friends, we like to think that the dog just learned that on his own. That's good discipline. But when someone else teaches the dog to do it, it seems a little cruel. It seems a little unfair, right? Hey, let the dog be. You know, it's a free country. Let the dog do whatever it wants to do. How dare you tell the dog what to do? So I think this is where the line lies. 
Friends, I want to try to convince you that both kinds of discipline are the same. But they're the, 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 just the difference is where does the impetus for that discipline come, right? So this is going to be kind of my working definition of discipline. And this is just something I came up with, so you can agree or disagree with me. Let's, let's read it and see if you agree with me, okay? So discipline is the process of training someone to consistently do something good, which requires one not to do other things, some of which you really want to do, right? So remember, we talked about two different kinds of discipline, um, but I think they're both the same. It's just who is initiating that discipline, right? So on the left, you see a, a parent, and I actually don't know what's going on. It's like the kid is like sweeping, and then it's like you sweep and then play video games. I don't know what's going on, but let's say that the parent is like, you know what? Don't play video games. Bad for you. I want you to learn to sweep the house. I don't, I don't know what kind of parent this is. <laughs> I don't know what kind of racket they're running here, but I want you to sweep my house. This is like a Cinderella type thing. I don't know, um, but... <laughs> It's like, stop playing the video game, right? And so in order for the kid to sweep the house, he's got to put down the video game. The kid wants to play the video game, right? Like if you just ask the kid, hey, sweep the house, maybe the kid thinks to himself, yeah, you know, the house is getting kind of dirty, you know? But in order for me to get a clean house, I have to stop playing the video game. And it's just that the parent has decided, ultimately, you're going to have to do it, right? And think about the runner who gets up early in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, goes for a run, right? Same thing has to happen here, right? Our, our definition. It's the process of training someone to consistently do something good, which requires one not to do other things, some of which you really want to do. This is the thing. Everyone wants to be healthy, right? In theory, that would be great. But the reason why most of us don't do get up at 4.30 in the morning and go running it's because we don't want to give up the things that it requires to get up at 4.30 in the morning. Like give up sleeping in your warm bed, <laughs> right? To, to give up this idea that, hey, it's so warm and nice here. You know, I'm going to have to give that up. I'm going to have to give up that sleep. I'm going to have to give up the comfortability, right? And so there's this exchange. You say no to some things so you can say yes to others. Same thing happens when you study. Maybe you have some friends who are just like, hey, whatever, studying. Studying is for losers and nerds. Let's party. Ah, and they're partying right next door to the library, and you're like looking out the door. You see into their apartment. And they're like, ah, no books, no studying. And you're like, ah. but you study. Why? Maybe you've decided for yourself, you know what? There's something I need to do here. I need to study. It's got a purpose. It's good. But in order to do that, you have to give up the party, at least for that moment, right? You have to give up the fun, right? There is an exchange that is happening. And so this idea of being able to resist doing something that you want to do, doing something that feels right in that moment, this is a very important thing for us to learn. Because what is this whole sermon about, friends? It's about learning to experience grace when you don't feel like it. We think that some of those things are choices, but really, what choice do you have, right? Remember the example I used of my kid who gets mad or rages or is mean to her sister or something like that. I'm like, why'd you do that? She's like, I don't know. Well, stop it. She's like, I can't, right? Why? I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but 
you know, because I'm like, intellectually, you knew you were going to get in trouble. You knew this was going to end badly. Why would you choose that? And she had no choice. Why? Feelings. Feelings get in the way. You feel like doing it. You're just so angry that you can't help it, right? All the things that your dad says are so rational and logical and good and wise. I, I know I'm tooting my own horn here, right? It makes sense logically, but logic is out the window. You're not thinking about logic. You're only feeling what you feel. Maybe there's a part of you when you get stressed out and things get difficult. Praying would be the logical thing. Like, I need to go to God. But you know what? I just don't feel like it. I just want to wallow in self-pity. I just want to just sit here and stew. I just want to veg and eat some ice cream and watch TV. I don't feel like it. It's the same thing with exercising. It's the same thing with all these things that require discipline. And learning that discipline helps you because it helps you to overcome the things that you do not want to do but are good for you. They're very good for you. You think praying in that situation, you know, when things are getting stressful and difficult, would be good for you? It's, it's the messed up thing is that the thing that would be most helpful is the exact thing that you do not want to do in that moment. This is where most of us get in trouble. We think about Christianity as like, oh, you know, this is great freedom in Christ. Yes, that's true. But it should be freedom for the good. And most of us, we get in that moment and we're just like everyone else. Hey, I don't feel like it. And the one thing that could actually help you, we don't learn how to do. Right? So there is a process. There is training. It doesn't mean just exercising your willpower but you need to learn how to do it. I completely sympathize with my daughter, with everyone else who is in that moment and says, I can't do it. And I'm like, you're absolutely right, you can't do it, right? Yeah, your emotions are overwhelming, but you know what? You can train, you can learn how to overcome that. And you learn that through discipline. So it says here, um, it is for discipline that you have to endure. Right? Friends, I want to read that again. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Most of us, we get this twisted. We think that discipline is enduring. Right? Yes, it is and it isn't. Right? There's a, definitely a process involved. But, you know, think about that dog who's just like, mm, will not eat the muffin. Right? How did it get to that point? Well, somebody decided that that dog was going to endure. Right? You know, somebody decided that that person was, uh, that that dog was going to, you know, do this until it learned that trick. You know, I remember uh, one of my roommates in college was one of the most disciplined, or sorry, not college, in seminary. He's one of the most disciplined people I'd ever met. He woke up early every day, he'd go like jogging for a couple miles, he, he, he read the Bible faithfully, and he was just this really fit dude and just very focused. He was able to focus. And I struggled a lot with discipline. I was like, Hey, hey, man, how'd you learn to do that? And like, like, were you just born disciplined? You know, that's what I thought. There's just some people just more disciplined than me. He's like, no, Steve, I was just like you. I was exactly like you. And don't take this the wrong way. This is not meant to say you should do this, right? Because I didn't do this. But he was like, just one day I got up and was like, man, I can't do this anymore. My life is a mess because I can't discipline anything. It's like, you know what? I want someone to discipline me for me, right? So he joined the Marines, you know, he joined the Marines in about a weekend. He's like, why did I do this? This is horrible. This is the worst idea ever. 
and he hated it. Like, he was like, seriously, like, I just hated life, but he came out of it, and he was disciplined, (laughs) right? Remember, those two different kinds of discipline are the same thing. It's somebody telling you, whether it's you or whether it's someone else, it's somebody telling you you can't do certain things so that you can do others. And so, yeah, he learned discipline. Somebody was like, you're getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Deal with it. And he's like, I don't feel like it. What happens if he doesn't feel like it? He gets disciplined, right? We think of discipline as punishment. It's not purely punishment. I know that's the way the world uses it. But discipline is a correction, right? It is a way of trying to fit you into the place where you should be. And it was a process. It was hard. He didn't feel like doing it. Maybe for the first couple months, like every time he had to wake up at six, like his body is rejecting it. His body tries to fall asleep while he's in the shower, you know? But after a while, everything changes. He learns how to do it. It's a process. And then a few months later, what happens? He's disciplined, which means what? He's able now to do the things that he didn't want to do before, to do the good that he didn't want to do before, and it becomes automatic. It doesn't start there. But this is why we endure, friends, for discipline. So you can have that in your life because you're going to need it. You're going to need to be able to do things that you do not want to do, right? It says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons, right? And so (laughs) I remember... um, I had a very good friend who, uh, his, his kid was like an awesome baseball player, like really good. I think like got close to getting like a college scholarship. I don't think he quite got there, but very, very close. And <laughs> what I learned is that his dad was his first baseball coach. And uh, that his, dad, his son used to complain every night, come back and be like, dad, it's not fair. You're so much harder on me than any other kid. What is up with that, right? You're a pastor. Aren't you supposed to be fair? Right? And, and this is what his dad would say. I'm not saying this is the right approach. I mean, you know, as a coach, this isn't you know, maybe the right thing, but this is the heart of a father. He, he looks at him and he says, yeah, I'm harder on you because you're my son. Those other kids are not my sons. So I don't care what they do. See, again, not a great coach, right? <laughs> but that's the heart of the father, right? He said, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't discipline you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't push you. Right? Now, that's not just with sports, but with anything. Right? Like, like if, if I see my daughter doing something that she feels like doing, like you know, being on the iPad all day, and I know it's not good for her, I have to discipline her, which means what? It doesn't mean smacking her around. It means showing her the right thing to do and making her stop doing the things that she wants to do in that moment because they're not good for her. That's discipline. And so this idea that God just wants you to do whatever you want You hear this from time to time. Oh, God just wants me to be happy. Okay, I I can kind of get there in a very circuitous way, but what will make you happy? What will give you the ultimate happiness in life? Is it just whatever you want to do in life? Are you going to end up happy? Think about all the people who end up like, you know, on skid row or on the street with needles in their arms as, as, as addicts. Are they happy? No, but I bet they did what they wanted to do, right? They did what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. 
And oftentimes you find that a lot of people who end up in very bad, not, not, not always, but a lot of people who end up in very bad situations didn't get any discipline. Like, yeah, I got to do whatever I wanted and it wasn't good. I wish somebody loved me enough to tell me to stop, to force me not to do it. And this is the thing, friends. This is our God. He loves you enough to discipline you. He wants you to have discipline, right? Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. It is for a purpose. God wants us to be holy. And let's keep on going because it's so good. Verse 11, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What is righteousness, friends? Righteousness is being right. It's the way that God wants you to be. This is what is implied in the Hebrew word shalom that we most commonly translate peace. Yes, it is peace, but it's more than that. It's a right way of being. God wants you to be right. In other words, God wants you to be like Jesus. You know the way Jesus was? He had ultimate peace in this world. Even though he faced difficulty, he had enemies who wanted to kill him. You know, he had enemies that are on every side. He faced so much persecution. And we didn't see Jesus going through life, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my, what am I going to do? No, he was able to do the right thing, even when maybe there's a part of him that didn't want that, that wasn't always comfortable with it. Father, if there's any way for you to take away this cup of suffering, for me not to have to die this nasty, horrible death, please do that, God. But not my will, but yours be done. Father, your will be done. And he followed that. And he did it. And he endured the cross, right? He lived a righteous life. So many people in this world, we're not able to do the right thing when we need to do it, which is often when we don't feel like it. But this is something that God is training us for. Um, And so then it says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is something that uh, Dallas Willard and John Ortberg talk about a lot. They say that the problem with the Christian life, with discipleship, is that we do not train as disciples. In the moment, we try to just by sheer willpower be the kind of person that we need to be. And remember, we said, it doesn't quite work. Why? Because you haven't been formed in that way. You haven't been doing the training. It's like taking somebody and saying, hey, go run a marathon right now with zero training. Makes no sense. But that's the way most of us try to live the Christian life. So I don't know, maybe you're in an angry mob of of people who hate you and they're yelling at you and they want to kill you. In that moment, you're like, okay, forgive those people, okay? Be loving, be like Jesus. Well, in that moment, I'm scared for my life, right? In that moment, I'm feeling so angry. I can't overcome those things. But what I can do, friends, is make the decision every day to be with God and let him train me in righteousness. 
This is why we talk about spiritual disciplines. Remember, friends, I, I want to make this point. I know I made this several weeks ago, and I've been saying it again and again and again. There's some people, you, you come into a service like this, you hear a message like this, and you struggle because you heard so much about grace. And you're like, yeah, but Steve, you know, we shouldn't have to do anything now in the Christian life, which, by the way, the Bible never says that, right? What it says is that you cannot earn salvation. You do nothing to earn grace, but you still have to receive it. You got to show up to receive it. And that's what spiritual discipline is all about, right? Hebrews is a wonderful book that talks a lot about grace, talks a lot about Jesus' uh, substitutionary atonement. This is where we get most of the theology, is from Hebrews. And here in Hebrews, he's talking about discipline. He's talking about being able to sit down and do something that maybe you don't want to do, that isn't pleasant, right? But this is all for the purpose of giving us more discipline, that we can learn to be the people that God desires us to be. And friends, oftentimes, the training that we're doing, it's not the kind of strenuous training. That's why, you know, people get a little twisted. We talk about the Marines and all this stuff. You know, we're not talking about marching six miles. We're talking about being in the presence of God and receiving his grace, oftentimes in silence. It's actually the complete opposite of doing. You're doing nothing. You're letting God do in your life. You're letting him bring calm into your life. You're letting Jesus reign in your emotions and your feelings and everything else. And what I've learned is when I've learned to do that every single day, to just sit before the presence of God and let him calm my heart, let him reign over all the emotions, then when I am in a moment where normally I would be stressed out, something strange happens. I've got that training. The Holy Spirit is able to work in my life where that calm that he's been putting into my life every day it comes out in that moment when I need it the most. And I'm a different person. This is what God desires to do, right? It's not that God is like, oh, you need to be disciplined just because. You need to be disciplined because you got to earn it. No, friends, I want to be very clear. You cannot earn God's grace. It's already given to you. Well, why not show up and receive it? Why not show up and actually let God train you? Let God make you more of a peaceful person, more of a loving person, more of a patient person. And, and, you know, just to go on this, it says, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This kind of brings to mind, like, you know, somebody in training. Maybe your hands are drooping, you know? Maybe your knees are weak and you're doing the training and you're just kind of doing it like this. And he says, make straight paths for your feet because if you don't, you know, what was hurt and lame will not be healed. It might be put out of joint if things are not straight. And friends, it makes me think about a cast. Uh, so I know we have some people in the, the medical profession who can tell me better than, you know, uh, tell you better than, than I can. But the way a cast works is a cast has several purposes. One is to protect the injury so something doesn't get re-injured. But if you like break a, a, a bone, the cast is there to make sure that the bone gets set properly, right? To make sure it heals properly. And because if not, then, you know, your arm might be bent or, you know, the bone is, is, is not quite fused together in the way that it's supposed to, right? And so, friends, this is the way that I think about what it talks about here about uh, making straight paths for your feet. 
That's what we talk about discipline, as in there are certain constraints that are put on you to help form you and shape you in the right way. And this is one of the things that I've learned about spiritual disciplines, is there is a right way to do it that is helpful. This is not legalistic, friends, but this is something that the wisdom of a lot of people who've come before us. You know, one of the things that I hear is that you got to set aside time. you got to make the time for it, friends. And so, you know, for me, I, I would make all these excuses like, oh, you know, grace is everywhere. I can always receive grace. I'll just pray like in the car or something. Or, you know, it, it, my two-second prayer is just as good as an hour-long prayer. It's all grace. It's all grace. But one of the things I've learned is that if you don't set aside the proper time, it's hard for us to really be in that place where we can experience the manifest presence of God. In other words, that God is everywhere, but we don't always know he's there. That's not God's limitation. That's a limitation on me, right? I got to do it the right way. Um, There are ways that we don't do it right. There are ways where, uh, you know, we sometimes... uh, it's a problem of frequency, you know, that a lot of us were like, yeah, you know, I don't want to be legalistic about this, so if I have a quiet time once a month, just as good as every day. Friends, I got to say, again, you know, it's about showing up for that grace, you know? And so I don't want to be legalistic about it, but one of the things I want to encourage you, especially if it's not a habit in your life, is to learn to do it every day, you know, um, I used to hate this example of brushing teeth, but I think it's kind of salient because for me, I've learned to brush teeth and I see the value in it so much that if I don't do it, there's something wrong. You ever like try to fall asleep without brushing your teeth and you just kind of wake yourself up? Like you're so tired, but you're like, must brush my teeth. You can feel it on your breath. You can feel like the slime on your teeth. Like I'm going to roll myself out of bed. I don't want to. Every fiber in my being just wants to fall asleep, but I get myself out of bed. Why? Discipline discipline. I learned to do that, right? And this is one of the things, friends, I got to tell you, I've learned to spend time with God every single day uh, in the past couple years. I'm not always perfect at it. I don't always do seven for seven. Sometimes it's five out of seven, six out of seven, four out of seven days that I'm spending time with God. But the thing that I've learned is when you do it consistently, when you don't do it, there's going to be a part of you that wants to do it now. That discipline has become a part of you. And so I want to encourage you um, to do it the right way in terms of, you know, like setting the cast the right way. Uh, Trying to do it every day. Trying to do it without interruptions or distractions. You know, uh, there were many times in the beginning where I'm like, you know what, I'm having my quiet time, but let me just check my email real quick. Oh, what's on Facebook? And before you know it, I'm not even like doing my quiet time anymore. You know, and I've had to learn to set this thing aside. No distractions. Let's do this the right way. Let, let, let's make sure I'm in the right posture. You know, we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about spending time with God in silence. You know, making sure your back is straight so that you can stay attentive. You know, I mean, it's just a more respectful position, you know, to be before God. I think it helps you to get in a mood where you can be before God and you are giving God that proper respect. But... Oftentimes, you know, for me, I do quiet times while I'm laying down. Like, hey, let's not be legalistic about this. You know, God is God no matter what. Then you fall asleep, right? Friends, again, this is all just meant to be practical. This is not legalistic. I don't mean this for this to be a legalistic thing. But why not start 
with trying to do it in such a way that it will become a regular thing. It will be something that is useful for you. That is what God desires discipline to be. So anyways, all that is to say um, that uh, uh, let's just take a moment um, to pray. And and, uh, praise team, if you guys could come up. Uh, I, I want us to think about What is your discipline like? Friends, I want to be very clear on this. God will not love you any less if you're not having regular quiet times with God. I want to be very, very clear. You know, Jesus died for you, you know, and that love is not conditional on you doing a quiet time. But I also know that for me, because of the tendencies that exist within me, the problems that I face in life, the fact that so often I don't feel like doing things. Without discipline, I'm not going to spend that time with God. I'm not going to be able to receive that grace that already has been freely poured out to me. So friends, I, I want us to, to think about for a moment, you know, what is your routine? You know, so I, I, I had to do a lot of soul searching for this for me. It's about two years ago I realized just how how much soul poverty I had in my own life. How anxious I was all the time and I couldn't help it. How stressed out I was. How angry I was. And I realized that one thing I didn't do was set down and schedule that time with God. You know, to make it a priority and say, you know what, I'm going to make a commitment to do this every day. The will isn't very good at making the decision to be a super loving and patient and non-stressed out person when you need it. But in moments like this, we know how to set an appointment. That's something the will can do. I want to encourage you. I I know I've asked people to do this before, but maybe for whatever reason you didn't do it, you weren't ready. I want you to actually get out your phone and make a schedule. Schedule it for us. You ever have a friend and you just keep talking about like, hey, we should meet up sometime, right? And you never meet up, right? Right? We all have friends like that. You know the friends you meet up with? The friends that you you don't say, we should meet up sometime. You say, hey, let's meet up. What's a good time for you? Tuesday? Cool. You put it in your phone. You say, Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Let's meet up. You'll meet up with that person. So if you leave this message and you say, oh, yeah, I should meet up with God sometime. I should spend time with God sometime. Friends, can I suggest if you didn't do it in the past when you felt like it, you're probably not going to do it going forward. Unless you schedule it. Unless you make it a priority. So friends, go ahead. You won't offend me. You can get out your phone. <laughs> spiritual thing. This is a very spiritual thing. Make an appointment. You know, 6 o'clock today, 5 o'clock today. And if you fail at that, friends, hey, learn from that. Make another plan. This is how we receive God's grace. God desires for us not to struggle through this life alone, but to know that he is always with us. So friends, as you are making that schedule, can I just pray for you? Let's pray. God, I just want to pray for all my friends here. I don't think there's a single one of us who doesn't want to experience more of your grace. And thank you, God, for showing us that example of what Christ did, of paving that way by enduring all the pain of the cross for joy, for the joy of giving 
on his life to, to others, to us, that we can enjoy that life as well. But we know, God, that there is going to be hardship in this life. We know it's not always going to feel good. But even when it doesn't, Lord, teach us, God, how to make that time for you, how to prioritize that, how to receive more of your grace every, every day, that, that it gets better and better, that it gets easier and easier, that we become more righteous, we become more like Christ, we become more patient, we become more loving, we become more the way that you desire us to be. Lord, may you reign, may your kingdom reign in all of us. I'm so excited for all of us as we continue in this journey. Maybe for some of us, we're making a plan for the first time to spend time with God. Praise God for that. Maybe some of us, we we were doing it before and we kind of fell off the wagon when life got tough and we just, you know, just life took its course and we drifted farther away from shore. God, we want to do that corrective. We want to discipline ourselves to go back to the source of all life, to spend time with you, Lord. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name.